Well, good morning, friends. Good to be with you guys this morning. Ryan, I don't know where you found that video, but I'd give a lot of money for that man's hair and that man's moves. I mean, because compared to him, I don't have any of any of it. Anyway, hey, great to be with you guys this morning. Kind of a rainy day. I didn't know Denver did such a great Seattle impersonation, but, uh, but I like it. I like it a lot. You know, we prayed all week that the Lord would rain down in this service. And uh, it looks like he's going to make that happen in more ways than just one. So if water falls on your head during the service, there's a 50-50 chance it's the Spirit of God or just a, a leak in the roof. Your call, you kind of determine which is which, all right? especially this section over here. Apologies, apologies for what's happening. God is moving over there. Wow. Hey, what's supposed to the church if you haven't been here before, maybe first time, first time in a long time? Uh, a church striving to do two things. We're striving to be a Christ-centered community as well as a, a church that takes Christ out into our community. So we're grateful that you're a part of this morning. Hope that you'll be a part of the long haul with us. Uh, we don't want to just talk about God in this place. We want to experience God. We want to be changed by God. We want to meet God personally. And so one of the ways we're doing that is through our current sermon series called The Story. Uh, we're utilizing a resource uh, that takes different excerpts from the NIV, uh, different version of the Bible, and places them in chronological order. It's, it's showing us how all the different stories of Scripture connect together, how all the different stories of Scripture connect to Jesus, and hopefully how all the different stories of Scripture connect to you and your story. We're hoping that you're finding a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose in your own story as we're going through God's story. If you haven't already, stop by the Welcome Center. We've got some of these books available to you, uh, our gift. We want you to be reading right along with us. This story changes everything. A little while back, I heard of a man who applied for a position with the New York City Police Department, and he was being grilled by this panel of officers that were testing him with difficult interview questions. One officer asked, what would you do if you had to arrest your mother? The man thought for a moment, and he replied, I'd call for backup. <laughs> well, that's kind of how I feel this morning. Uh, I'm not arresting my mother, thankfully, but I'm going to attempt something rather risky. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about some things that we normally shy away from talking about. Some things that are real and raw and that all of us have very different reactions to. Uh, today, I want to talk about Jeffco's puberty material growing and changing. I don't. I don't want to talk about that. I mean, you guys were so scared I was going to pull that out. Nathan gave me that joke just in case you didn't think it was funny. Uh, this morning, I actually want to talk about pain and suffering and what we're supposed to do with it all, how we're supposed to make sense of it all, especially as Christians. Uh, I don't want to talk about this stuff in just a hypothetical, kind of intellectual way, right, where you walk out, you're a little jaded, a little arrogant, and nothing's different. I want to talk about it on a very personal level, a deeply spiritual way, so that maybe we'll be changed, maybe we'll be transformed more into the image of Christ. So uh, if that's going to happen, we're going to need some backup. So let me ask for the Spirit of God to join us in this place. God, we want to tackle some heavy things this morning, and we ask that you would join us as we do it. Thank you for the way that uh, the, the team ministered to us so effectively this morning through song. Thank you that they, they spoke of, God, you being good at all times, you giving and you taking away, and, and heaven being able to undo all the pain and suffering of this place. Help us to make sense of this, God. Help us to take it from our heads to our hearts and maybe out to our hands. Join us. We need backup, God. This, this stuff confuses us. It burdens us. Many of us are going through some terrible things even as we speak. Please come and be in this place with us, God. Prove yourself good and loving and superior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story is told about the great explorer Magellan. 
who when he and his comrades were sailing past the tip of Argentina for the very first time in human history, they noticed some fires were burning along, along the shoreside. Uh, they were obviously people that were already inhabiting that land. Magellan was not the first. And yet the natives paid absolutely no attention to Magellan's massive ships as they sailed ashore. In fact, the natives acted like they didn't even exist. Here were these incredible vessels that they had never seen anything like if they acted like they didn't exist. They were asked about this later. And the natives basically said, well, we didn't run out to meet the explorers. We didn't become fascinated by those ships because we thought they were ghosts. The ships were so different from anything we'd ever seen. They were so limited in their imagination. They were so stuck in what was possible that they missed out on something incredible that was right there in front of them. They only knew little wooden canoes. So because this is our world, they couldn't fathom that there was another world out there. I wonder how many of us, though, get stuck in that same position, especially as it pertains to God, and especially as it pertains to what God is doing through our pain and suffering. How many of us may be so stuck in a certain mindset, so set in a certain way of thinking, so established in a certain understanding of how the world works, so that when God shows up, when he manifests his power in a certain way, when his presence comes into your life in a certain way, maybe in a new way, a fresh way, a way you'd never thought of before, a way you'd never experienced before, maybe you just cast it off as being some sort of imaginary dream. Like That can't be real. That can't possibly be it. Let's go back to our little wooden canoes. How, how many of us maybe fall into that trap? Last week we talked about chapter 16 of our story. This is a chapter where God punishes his people for their lack of peculiarity. God basically gets mad because his people aren't weird enough. This is basically Portland's greatest message. If you've ever been to Portland, they have slogans all over the city. Keep Portland weird. They love to be weird in Portland. We all need to be like Portland, God says, in, in certain ways. But chapter 16, it's really about a loving father showing tough love to his children so that they might more fully understand and then reflect his unconditional love. Right, this chapter is about God's wrath being used to help people avoid the pain of an indifferent, idolatrous, and impure life. One feels bad, the worse is significantly, or the other is significantly worse. It isn't easy for us to grasp all of this, but I think we can kind of get our mind around this stuff, right? A dad who in love and because of love has to do some things at times that don't look or feel very loving. We understand that sometimes there are, there are moments of pain and suffering that come as a result of disobedience or a result of immaturity, and a loving father has to correct you, has to move you along, has to put you in time out or spank you or whatever your form of discipline is. We, we kind of get that, don't we? But what about pain and suffering that looks and feels completely random? Pain and suffering that looks meaningless, that feels hopeless, that leaves us broken and empty. Pain and suffering that causes us to question God's very existence. I mean, what do we do with that kind of stuff? Stuff that this church has personally suffered through. Stuff like car accidents, overdoses, brain cancer, miscarriages, cheating spouses, addictions, high school shootings, rapes, wars, and everything in between. What do we do with that stuff? You can't just chalk that up as punishment. So what do we do? What do we do with that stuff? That's what I want to talk about this morning. See, so you have several options available to you. You can run and hide from this stuff. Just go build a little bunker in the hills. You can become angry or jaded at life. 
You can look to drugs to numb the pain. Like other religions suggest, you can pretend that all of this is just imagination and it's all just an illusion. I think the best option available to you is to probe the pages of Scripture. See, this book, Jesus says, will free you. That's what I love so much about the Bible, is that it's real and it's raw. It doesn't sugarcoat things or talk about ideal people living in an ideal world who worship some God with a cheesy smile always on his face. This book is honest about the pain and suffering of this world and the pain and suffering that each of us experiences. As we're going to read in chapter 17, biblical truth can actually set us free. Because a lot of us are enslaved right now to doubts and worries and lies about what's happened in our life, why it happened, and why God didn't seem to care to stop it from happening. And the truth can set you free from the burden of those questions. So this morning I want to look at three powerful truths that will help us to face our trials. Are you with me? Okay, six of you are. Great, let's go. God is ultimately responsible, truth number one, for everything that happens to you. God is ultimately responsible for everything that happens to you. Most of us find it relatively easy to give God credit for the good things that happen in our life, right? The baby's healthy, praise God. You get the job, the promotion, praise God. The test results come back in your favor, praise God. Isn't he wonderful and powerful and good and working out all things for my good, praise God. But what happens when the news turns a little sour? What happens when the reports are not so good? What happens when you get passed over? It's almost like we forget about God, or maybe worse, we assume he's forgotten about us. As soon as that news turns a little bit different, as soon as we have one jolt to our system, one punch in our arm, one shake to our foundation, and suddenly we start to feel or doubt that we even love God, or maybe worse, that he even loves us. And if we don't go to that extreme... We do tend to push God out the door or or try to cover him up or hide him or make excuses for him. We try to make him look good. We try to protect his name. Think about when tragedy comes into your life or the life of somebody around you, chances are you've said or thought something like this. Please don't think that God had anything to do with this. I mean, don't blame God. God doesn't want pain or suffering to occur. And when it does, he feels just as bad about it as you do. God is love and he would never, ever, ever want his people to suffer. Or maybe you've thought or said something like this. Well, you know, God took a big risk when he made the world. When he gave people freedom and choice, he opened up a huge can of worms. People can disobey. They can bring about horrific evil. They can cause untold pain and suffering. You know, we aren't a bunch of robots. So God has to kind of stand back and let creation do its creation thing. Maybe you've said something like this. I know it looks bad right now, but in the end, God wins. We may have lost this battle, but I know that we, we will win the war. Satan runs free in this world, and I know that all hell has broken loose this side of heaven, but one day heaven will break loose. So just hang in there and know that in the end, it'll all turn out okay. And I get it. I get it. I get why we say those things. I've said all of those things in one way or another. But here's the thing. We, we don't chalk up all of our blessings to good luck, do we? Like, oh, your cancer came back negative. Man, right place, right time. You're so lucky. We don't chalk up all of our blessings and all the good things in our, in our life to just randomness. But when things turn bad, we don't, we don't know what to do. We, don't, we definitely don't point to God. When it's good, it's easy to point to him. But when it's bad, it's like, don't point there. 
God, I don't, I don't want to give you a bad reputation. I don't want people to think negatively of you, God. I don't want them to get the wrong impression of you, God. So if it was good, it was of God. But if it's not good, couldn't have been. Think about rain as an example of this. Perfect morning to talk about this. When it rains on a dry field or in the mountains and raises the water table, what do we do? We praise God. We thank Him for His faithfulness. But when that same rain keeps coming down and it floods an entire town, destroys buildings and kills people, we don't know what to do with the rain anymore. It's like two inches of rain, praise God. 20 inches of rain, God, where were you? See the problem with that? It's this very arbitrary place where we believe God was in control and worked it out for our good, and then we just cross over this line, not exactly sure where that line is for you, and all of a sudden God's no longer in the equation. He was completely in control over here, and he's nowhere to be seen over here. There's, there's some problems with this way of thinking. For one, it makes our lives feel like a giant roll of the dice. Sometimes it works out for good, sometimes it doesn't, and we aren't quite sure when we're going to roll the lucky sevens. But sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. Some of us honestly feel like God is this circus performer who's spinning all these plates on the sticks, and every once in a while he drops one. Psh, like, oops. <laughs> Let's just get back to all the others. It also makes God and evil look like they're on the same playing field, on the same page. It's like God and Satan are on this eternal boxing match where rounds one, three, and seven went to the Lord, but all the others, that's kind of a toss-up. It's looking like Satan's actually kind of beating down the Lord right now, but we know round 12, huge knockout blow, yes! Looks, makes God look like he's small, helpless, aloof, and manic, doesn't it? Sometimes he's in complete control. Sometimes he's completely out of control. Sometimes he cares deeply about us and is invested in our daily lives. And other times we have no idea where he is. That's honestly where a lot of us live. We're like the natives in Argentina. This is all we've ever known and all we've ever conceived of. And we have no possibility of ever imagining that there's something else so much bigger out there. There's a God who is so much bigger than all of that out there. You see, Scripture doesn't talk about a God who's manic or crazy or spinning plates or sometimes in it and sometimes not. And the Scripture says, don't ever worry about defending God. You don't have to make him look good. You don't have to get him off the hook for anything, especially the bad stuff. We're going to read a word this morning over and over and over again. The word is sovereign. Chapter 17, it's kind of the theme word for this chapter. This word is kind of just a big Bible word for God being in complete control of everything. And if he is truly sovereign, if he truly is in control of everything, then that means he's ultimately responsible for everything in your life. See, God either permitted it, he either planned it, or he purposefully put it into action. All other standings make him too small of a God and make him less than the sovereign God that he is. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Bible makes it clear that God has control, complete control, over the devil. We read this in the book of Job, don't we? Satan's got to ask for permission to do any sort of evil or destruction on this earth. We see that God has complete control over natural disasters. A few weeks ago, Nathan shared the story of Elijah with the wind and the rain and the fire and the earthquake and all stuff. And then Jesus, one word to the storm, what happens to it? It's a sunny day again. 
He's completely sovereign over disasters. God has complete control over diseases. Again, Jesus' healing ministry shows us that God has the power and authority to stop and put an end to any disease he wants to. God has complete control over political dynasties. Romans 12.1 says, There is not a single governing authority on this earth that has not been established and set in place by God himself. He's completely sovereign over political dynasties. And he has complete control over death. Jesus had this crazy hobby where he just kind of walked around and raised dead people back to life. He just couldn't help but resurrect people. So he's completely sovereign over all of these things. The devil, natural disasters, diseases, political dynasties, even over death. But here's the thing. Most of us only think he's sovereign over those, that he has control over those on certain days of the week. It's like God is sovereign over these things on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. But if something, God forbid, happened to you on Tuesday or Thursday, I, I, yeah, he doesn't answer his phone on those days. Like he doesn't have office hours on the weekends. I'm so sorry. But Monday, Wednesday, Friday, praise God. But other days, you're kind of left to fight for yourself. But you see, if God is who he claims to be, if Scripture is telling us the truth, then he has complete control over all of those things all of the times. And that means that nothing would happen without his knowledge, without his approval. And again, that means he's ultimately responsible for everything that happens to you. You only have to go and point back to God. You don't have to look to anybody else. You don't have to blame anybody else. You don't have to question anything else. Go straight to God with this stuff. That's what I love so much about the prophets and the psalmists. Because they did that. Everything's falling apart in these old guys' lives. And they look up to heaven kind of with a, with a fist raised. like, what are you doing up there? Do you see what's happening to me? Like my wife left me. My, my kids are all disobedient. All my stuff's broken. My food is all nasty. I don't have any friends. Like I could do a better job running this universe than you could. But they look to God. They say, why did you do this to me? And what I love is that not once does God say, why are you looking at me? It's evil people who are responsible for this. Why are you whining to me? Why are you blaming me? It's the abuse of free will that led to all of this. Why are you angry at me? It's the devil. Go talk to that guy about it. Not once does he say that. What God says is when it comes to the good, when it comes to the bad, when it comes to everything and anything in your life, when you come to me, you've come to the right guy because I'm in control of it all. You don't burden me. You don't make me feel less of you or think less of your faith. You don't cause me to get angry at you. Come to me because I'm the one who has done it all, who's in charge of it all. See, pain is a harsh reality. Evil is a harsh reality. Suffering is a harsh reality. We'd be fools to say anything less than that. But church, they're not the ultimate reality. There is truth with a little t and there's truth with a capital T. And God is that truth, and God is that ultimate reality. Everything falls under his authority. If he wants to stop it from happening, he will, and he can. If he doesn't, he won't. When he says yes, he's a sovereign God. When he says no, he's the sovereign God. When the outcome is good, he's a sovereign God. When the outcome is bad, he's the sovereign God. When the life is spared, he's the sovereign God. When the life is taken, he's still the sovereign God. Are you with me? That's what makes him so good. That's what makes him sovereign, is he always has control over those things. There's not a moment, the song says, where he's forsaken us. Not a moment that goes on that catches him off guard, or he doesn't understand, or is in complete control of everything that's happening. All right, let me show you what I mean. Here's where we finally get into chapter 17. 
The northern half of God's people, kind of the big brother, Israel, gets into trouble. They get punished. Assyria. Well, little brother follows in his footsteps. Chapter 17, they're getting punished. Babylon. Here we go. Page 241, 2 Chronicles 36. The Lord, the God of our ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again and again and again. Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But his people mocked God's messengers. They despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. There was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his, all his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value to them. That was just like six chapters ago. We were celebrating the build of the temple. This amazing golden, you know, this place where we can meet God and be with God. The, the temple was being erected and we were celebrating. We were so excited. That same temple is being burned to the ground right now. Oh, how far we've fallen in six chapters. So Assyria takes down Israel. You with me? Babylon takes down Judah. It's a powerful, nasty one-two punch, but I want to draw your attention to what God says a few verses later. The king during all of this, a guy named Zedekiah, he sees the writing on the wall. Actually, he sees Nebuchadnezzar marching with a sword in his hand coming after him. So he, he asks the prophet of the day, Jeremiah, plead to God for us. Ask God to spare us. Ask God to give us another chance. And this is what the prophet says. Page 242, Jeremiah 21. Jeremiah answered them, tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your very hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside this wall. And I will gather them inside of this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. I will strike down those of you who live in this city. And after that, declares the Lord, tell Zedekiah, the king of Judah, that I will give into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar him and his people. Um, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to get God off the hook for this one. It's kind of hard to go anywhere, but, but back to the Lord, hard to chalk this one up as evil forces or abused free will or bad luck or God not wanting to impose himself. God specifically says, I did it. See how many times he said, I will. I will be the one doing this. I will bring Nebuchadnezzar in. I will give your people over to death. I will crush you, Zedekiah. Say what you want about secondary agents. Say what you want about randomness or bad luck. Say what you want about the devil and demonic forces. Say what you want about evil King Nebuchadnezzar. Say all of that. But you know what you should say? God is right there in the middle of it all, accomplishing his will through it all. God is in that story. God is behind that story. And God isn't done writing that story. He's no helpless watcher. He doesn't stand back with his hands tied or his arms crossed. He doesn't wish or wonder or hope that one day at the end of it, when the, when the clock strikes 12, he'll bring good out of all of it for his people. No, 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 no. He doesn't let things run their course. He doesn't drop plates. He doesn't forget about his people, not for a single moment. He's an active participant from the very beginning. He's sovereign. He's in it all. He's over it all. He has control over it all. 
I love how Assyria and Babylon, they both boast about like, yeah, we took down Israel, we took down Judah, we killed those guys. And then God kind of comes up in Isaiah 10, taps them on the shoulders like, yeah, yeah, it really wasn't you. You were the rod in my hand that I used to discipline my kids. And when I'm done disciplining them, Assyria and Babylon, I'm going to discipline you. You think you're in control of this, and you're not. See, God is in, he's behind, and he's working through everything, even when we're not aware of it, even when those hurting us are not even aware of it. That's what makes him so good and so loving and so sovereign. When it comes to pain and suffering, I think God is saying this, I know that it hurts. I know it doesn't make sense to you right now. I know that you're mad, but I need you to ultimately know that I'm in it, that I'm behind it all, that I'm in control of it all. Go ahead, get angry, cry, yell, raise a fist, raise your voice. You have every right to do that, child, but wait until you see what I'm doing. Wait until you see what's going to come out of this. And that brings me to our second truth. Truth number two, God's ultimate plan includes a lot more people than you. Ezekiel 36, is page 245. Say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm doing all of these things. It's for the sake of my holy name, which you've made a mess of amongst the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the names that you have profaned among them. And then, look at this, the nations will know. Because of all that is happening, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. And it's so easy for us to lose sight of the fact that for God so loved the world. His ultimate desire is to save all of humanity. And the last time I looked, that's a lot of people. That's more than me. That's more than my family. That's more than West Bowles. That's more than Littleton. That is all the world. Remember what he said to Abraham? Through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all people. All people. I love the visions of the new heaven and the new earth because it's a place described where every tribe, every tongue, every generation from all of eternity past to all of eternity present, all of them are there and accounted for. You and I are but a small part of this vision. You and I are but a small part of this equation. You and I are but a small part of this mission. But guess what? We're a part of it. We're a part of God saving all of humanity. And I think the biggest part we play is when we go through pain and suffering. 1 Peter 2.21 kind of proves this to us. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, if you go through hell right now, this is commendable to God. Because to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow now in his footsteps. This is, this is what we were called to? See, people saw the suffering of Jesus and they literally were saved by witnessing that event. One man in particular, a Roman centurion, the guy who put Jesus on the cross. He's watching Jesus on the cross and he's watching him get through it all. He's watching him point to God in it all. And he's watching him hear things like this is not the end of it all. And guess what happens to this man who put that man on the cross? This man is saved. Simply by watching Jesus go through that. He's saved because of the way Jesus handled suffering. Church, could the same be true for us? Could the way we handle suffering and pain and heartache, could that be a way, maybe the most profound way, that God is drawing all of humanity back to himself? Could the way we handle suffering and heartache, could it be a way that God is using 
in our lives, something he's using in our lives to help bring other people life. Could it be? I think it could be. Every once in a while when there's nothing better on TV, I'll watch Discovery Channel. And there, there's some, some documentaries every once in a while about these fish that swim upstream uh, against the current, you know, to, to get somewhere where fish have to go. I don't, I don't get it. It's late. I'm not a fisherman. Anyway, you guys obviously like only watch Christian stuff. So, or CSI, I get it. Okay. So, you, you know, you're watching these fish go up this stream, and they're struggling, but they, they do it. They, they hop out of the water. They go against the rapids. But then, of course, these documentaries, I hate when they do this, they go under the water, right? The camera goes under the water, and it shows this one little fish. Like, we'll name him Charlie. Little Charlie. Like, he's struggling, man. Little Charlie cannot make it against this current. Little Charlie is not going to jump over these rapids. Little Charlie is going to be overtaken by the waters. And sure enough, you know, the narrator gets serious. Like, the music turns up. And then Charlie is no more. It's like, no, Charlie! What, what happened? Why? Why Charlie? Of all the fish in the sea, God, why? Charlie's a good kid, man. He's trying to do good, and you know, I mean, then I wonder, like, do we not feel that same way about our lives sometimes? Like, why that guy? Why did you make him go through all that? Why me, God? Why did you make me go through all that? Why did you make me that little fish that couldn't get over or that couldn't overcome all the bad things happening in my life? Why did you put me in the valley of the shadow of death? Why did you do that to me? And I think God says, I, I, I did that to you. I let that happen to you. I, I purpose that in your life because I need you to show everybody else how to get through it. I need you to show everybody else that you will get through it. And I need you to show everybody else that I'm with you through it all. I need you to do that for me, Charlie. I need you to go through the valley because everybody else is going to go through their own valley. And they're going to need some examples. They're going to need some witnesses. They're going to need some people showing them and lighting the way for them. Will you be that person for me? Will you show them how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Maybe God is saying this, I need you to go through this hellish thing for me for the time being so the rest of humanity will not go through hell for all of eternity. Whoa. Whoa, what a big God. See, when you see your pain and suffering in this light, it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it less painful or less stressful or less frustrating, but I think it makes it more important. I think it makes it more significant and more meaningful. You can still cry, you can still be upset, you can still be devastated, that's okay, but I want you to know there's something so big going on, and there's actually a really big God involved in it all. We see this in the life of Jeremiah, especially here in chapter 17. He's known as the weeping prophet, and for good reason. The guy's kind of crying over the condition of Judah. Like, I love Jerusalem, I love this temple. Now it's being destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. But he's also pretty upset because his life was pretty stinky. The dude was told he's going to be single forever. Like that alone. It's like, really, God? Anything but that. Then he's told, if that's not bad enough, he's going to be a preacher. And he's going to preach every day for his entire life. And not one day will anybody listen to one of his sermons. That is hell on earth. I mean, I've preached to some tough audiences. But to be told, not a single person is going to pay any attention but get out there and preach. So he's got loneliness, rejection, singleness, and major disappointment. 
And Jeremiah moans about it. He groans. He says, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. Come on, take this, take this away from me. But eventually he comes to the point where he says, but God, if you need me to do this, if you need me to drink this cup, then I will. I'll do it for you, God. And I think God says back to Jeremiah, thank you, Jeremiah. I love you. I delight in your decision. But you're not just doing it for me, Jeremiah. You're doing it for humanity. Your suffering is somehow being used by me in my sovereignty to bring life to all of humanity. You will speak to and redeem your generation, Jeremiah, because of what you're going through. And then guess what? I might just use your little life to speak to and redeem all other generations too. See, your story's not ultimately about you, Jeremiah. It's about humanity. It's about me saving all of humanity. Wow, what a big God that is. And that brings us to our last point. God's ultimately going to bring all that's dead back to life, including you. See, it's ulti- he, he's ultimately responsible for everything that happens to you. His ultimate plan includes a lot more people than you. And he's ultimately going to bring back all that is dead, including you. Look at how this chapter ends on page 246, Ezekiel 37. The words of another prophet. This is Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. And, I, and he set me in the middle of this valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, do you think these bones can live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I'll make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Story continues in verse 12. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones, they're the people of Israel, the people of chapter 17. And they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We've been cut off. We've been killed. Nebuchadnezzar has control. But now say to them, Ezekiel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, that I have done it all, declares the Lord. Wow. God brought wrath upon his people. God allowed them to experience pain and suffering. He allowed and permitted another nation to come in and destroy them. He allowed for their bones to be laid barren and dry in this valley of death. Their hope was gone. They were cut off. They felt like God had abandoned them. You know that feeling? You know what that feels like? Well, guess what? That's not the end of the story. The punishment, the pain, the persecutions, the problems, those are not the end of the story. God breathing life back into them, that's the end of the story. God bringing praise out of the pain, that's the end of the story. God bringing splendor out of the suffering, that's the end of the story. God raising up everyone who fell victim to pain and suffering and death, that's the end of the story. See, God doesn't want to just make bad people good or nice people nicer. God wants to bring dead people back to life. He wants to bring a dead world back to life, physically, spiritually, and everything that has happened to you, everything that is happening to you, everything that will happen to you. It's all part of this plan that God has to take dead things and make them alive again. I was with you in this incomprehensible evil time because I'm doing something that will be incomprehensibly good for you 
at this point in time. You can't fathom what I was doing back there. It hurt you. I understand that. But it was just for a second. Now I want you to enter into all of eternity with me. And this incredible stuff, what lies on the other side of the door, what lies on the other side of the equation, it's beyond our wildest imaginations. This life that's yet to come, this existence that's yet to come, the Spirit of God in us that's yet to come, the presence of God dwelling among us that is yet to come, that's going to make it all well worth it. Whatever you had to do back here, God, so be it, because I want to be a part of over here. Are you with me? Do you understand this? Do you, do you want to say, like Isaiah said in, in 65, Past troubles will be forgotten. The former things, they won't even be remembered. Whatever that was here, it won't even be remembered in light of what he's got planned over here. So Scripture tells us that hellish times in our lives, they're work of a holy God, pursuing a holy purpose. Painful times in our life are plan of a powerful God, working out a powerful purpose. Disappointing times in our lives are actually the work of a good God, a loving God, pursuing a good and loving purpose. And let's just end here. If we, if we ever question this, if we ever doubt this, we just need to look to the cross. Everything makes more sense in light of the cross. Every question you have about your pain and suffering is answered at the cross. Would God allow, ask, and even orchestrate the suffering of innocent people for a much greater purpose? Yes, the cross. Does God's will sometimes mean I have to go through incredible amounts of pain and suffering? Yes, the cross. Is God present, active, and moving when I don't see it, when it doesn't feel like it? Yes, the cross. The crucifixion, the death of this one man, interprets all the suffering of the world. It could be the Holocaust, Columbine, or even cancer. What happened to Jesus gives us insight into the retarded boy, the Down syndrome girl, the raped woman, the murdered child, the disfigured missionary. God is in it because he was in it at the cross. God is bigger than it because he's bigger than it as proven by the cross. God is better than it as proven again by the cross and God is using all of it, the darkest of the dark in your life right now for an eternity you can't even fathom, Christian. You can't even fathom what's on the other side. Dave, I, I hope that water's actually cold because I'm sweating now, boy. <laughs> I wanted it warm this morning, but now turn, that, turn it down. Church, I just, I just need you, to, I need you to, to not be like the natives in Argentina. I need you to think that that is possible. I need you to believe that something so far beyond our comprehension and understanding is actually possible. I want you to see what God might be doing on the horizon of your life. I want you to see that he's ultimately responsible for everything that has ever happened to you. Go to him if you're upset about it. Go to him if you question it. Go to him if you don't like it. Go to him because he's at the end of it all. His plan is so much bigger than you and he's trying to use you to save all of humanity. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You've got a mission. You've got a job. And it's to save the world. hope that you will see that and I want you to ultimately see that all dead things will be raised back to life because he is so sovereign and so good and so powerful. I want you to see it and I want you to know it's not a ghost, it's not a dream, it's not a nice thought, it's not a crutch that we use to get through our hard times. It is absolutely real. It is absolutely true. Let me pray that we'll believe that and we'll, we'll get some people in the water. God, thank you for this, this chapter, although it's hard to fathom. 
that you would purposefully orchestrate pain and suffering against your people. That you would say, don't blame anybody else. I did this. God, help us to understand how it's all basked in love. It's all basked in mission. It's all basked in your sovereignty. Lord, I don't say these things lightly. I don't want to to make it seem like pain and suffering is no big deal. God, it is a big deal. It hurts. We don't want it. I would rather have it not be part of our equation, Father, but it is. I don't know what you know. I don't see what you see. I'm not eternal. I'm not sovereign. I'm not in control of everything. And so I just trust you, God, that if we have to go through hell right now, it'll somehow save us and the rest of the world from hell for all of eternity. Help us to all believe that, God. Help us to be like Jesus on the cross and to, and to suffer well, to die well, to go through our disappointments well so that others may take notice and want to know you. Use whatever it takes, God, in this life, in this church, in this world, to bring about your good, loving purposes. Help us to trust you and follow you every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.